You can go on ahead and put your hands together for Father's Day. The theme this year is you're the real MVP. And so to all the fathers, all the grandfathers, all the brothers, all the uncles, to all the sons in the house this morning, we celebrate you this morning and we, and we want to say, Happy Father's Day, you are the real MVP. Amen. Actually, that term MVP stands for most valuable player. It's a term that resonates across various sports. MVP is symbolic of the pinnacle of individual achievement. Each sport has its own criteria for selecting an MVP. But as we look at society's idea of what an MVP is, we find that it generally revolves around exceptional performance, leadership qualities, and the impact that you have on the team. When society talks about MVP, it is the idea that MVP consistently outshines their peers, whether it's scoring goals in soccer, hitting home runs in baseball, scoring tries in rugby. MVPs have the ability to dominate games and produce extraordinary statistics. When society talks about MVP, it is the idea of being able to lead by example both on and off the field. An MVP motivates their peers through their work ethic, their determination, their ability to be calm while they are under pressure. An MVP is often some, like, oftentimes seen as a role model who inspires others to reach new heights. When society looks for an MVP, they're looking for players who can elevate their team's performance. They're looking for someone who can contribute significantly to achieving collective success. And so to be named an MVP, it signifies not only individual brilliance, but also a profound influence on one's team and sport as a whole. And so MVP is the real deal. MVP is someone with next level abilities. MVP is someone with game changing excellence. But this morning, I thought we couldn't just talk about MVPs without talking about the MVP of all time. We can't just talk about being an MVP without acknowledging the greatest MVP. Come on, somebody. He's, he's, he isn't an MVP in terms of the most valuable player. He's an MVP in terms of the most valuable person that you'll know. He's the kind of MVP that'll calm the storm and the raging seas. He's the kind of MVP that'll feed thousands with five loaves and two fish. He's a kind of MVP who will come walking on the water. He's the kind of MVP who will spit in dirt, rub it in a blind man's eyes, and then make him see. He's the kind of MVP who will raise the dead to life. Does anybody know who I'm talking about this morning? Talking about Jesus. You don't just want this MVP in your sports games. Nah, you want him in your life. Because to know him is to know life. To know him is to know abundant life. To know him is to know everlasting life. And so this morning, I want to speak on the topic, the real MVP. I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 13, verse 1 to 17. But this morning, I'm just going to read a portion of it, uh, verse 13 to 17. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Here's what it says. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. God bless the reading of his word this morning. As we pick up our story in the text, in preceding chapters, we see that Jesus' public ministry is coming to an end. 
And on the evening of the hour, when the Bible talks about Jesus' hour had come, it's talking about Jesus nearing the cross, his death on the cross. And so on the evening of the hour, Jesus gathers his disciples together to address them privately with what would be known as the farewell discourse. Jesus had spoken about the cross before, but in our text, he starts to enact the service of the cross for his disciples by washing their feet. At this very moment, we see the the King of Kings, the Son of Man, God Himself, kneels before the disciples and then He serves them. We read that during the supper, Jesus gets up, He takes off His outer garments, He girds Himself with a towel, and He begins to wash the feet of His disciples. I want to suggest to you this morning that this washing of feet is not added to the Bible just so that we could have another ceremony. It's not added just so that we could have another sacrament. No, God came to release and relieve us from much of our ceremonial activities. But if all we do is memorialize and institutionalize what the text is saying by merely demonstrating washing of feet, we're going to miss some of the significant revelations of the text. And so, Uh, As we walk through the text, don't just walk through it and get information. Walk through the text to gain deeper understanding of what Jesus is saying, the heart behind what he's saying and what he is doing. Because while this may seem like it's just some act of hospitality where Jesus is washing feet, when you realize actually that it's Jesus who is considered to be the guest in the home, when you realize that He has reversed the order of the custom. When you realize that he's the one washing the feet of the disciples, you start to feel the intensity of the moment. And so first of all, I want to look at Jesus' humility. The fact that he being God, he being the son of God, he being the second person of the Trinity, and yet he gets up from the table, lays aside his outer garments, girds himself with a towel and begins to serve. He got up lay aside his garments, he girded himself with a towel and begins to serve. He got up, he lay aside his garments, he girded himself with a towel and he begins to serve. He got up, he lay aside his garments, he girded himself. What I want you to understand here is that in the social cultural context of the first century, foot washing uh, was seen as the most demeaning task ever given to household servants. Some scholars of the word even say that the task of washing feet was even considered too demeaning for servants to perform because carrying out foot washing was the act of a slave. In Greco-Roman times, the act of washing feet was equated to slavery. Never ever would you see someone of superior status perform this act. In ancient times, Feet would get particularly dirty. People walked in sandals and streets covered with dust stirred up by travelers. They would have stepped into mud. Their feet would have been covered from all of the dirt and the filth from the roads they traveled. And yet the same hands that flung the stars in the skies, the same hands that positioned the moon and the sun in the sky, the same hands that placed the solar system in its place is now the hands handling the disciples' feet wiping off all of the dirt, smearing out all of the filth, and then once clean, carefully wiping their feet dry. Who is this who behaves this way? I can just imagine all of the disciples being so shocked. How could Jesus, their master, their teacher, their Lord, take on the mantle of a slave? 
I can imagine how quiet it would have been in the room, uh, disciples reclining at the table and Jesus adopting the posture and appearance of someone who polishes shoes. He steps over the line from the one being served to the one now serving. That speaks to his humility. He got up, he lay aside his garments, he girded himself with a towel and started serving. But I realize that this isn't the first time that Jesus is laying things aside in order to serve. No, he did that in heaven. He got up, he lay aside his garments. He lay aside his omnipresence. He lay aside his omnipotence. He laid aside his omniscience. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave. He stepped into into time and began to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He came so that through his serving, he might be able to redeem the world. Philippians says that Jesus, though he was God, didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. And so he emptied himself, took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He got up. He lay aside his outer garments. He girded himself with a towel and he washed their feet. Here's what I want you to know today. If Jesus' example of humble service is going to be a reality in our lives, then we've got to be prepared to lay aside some of the garments that we've still got on. The garment of pride will only have you saying, I'm too good to be serving anybody. That has to go. The garment of judgmentalness will have you saying, well, they didn't deserve to be served. That's got to go. The garment of religion will have you saying, no, it's my obligation. I have to do this. That's got to go. The garment of past hurts will have you saying, I tried it and I got hurt by it. That's got to go. The garment of fear will have you saying, I'm too scared to serve because they might reject me. That's all got to go. Jesus' example of humble service is only going to be a reality in our lives if we're prepared to get up, lay aside the outer garments, gird ourselves with a towel, and begin to serve. If anyone don't have to humble himself to wash the feet of a bunch of fishermen, it was Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he had come from God and he was going back to God. Jesus knew fully well who he was. He knew he was the Lord of the universe. Jesus was the sovereign, yet he took the place of a servant. He had all things in his hands, yet he picked up a towel. He was the Lord and master Yet he served his disciples. Jesus' ultimate expression of humility was that he even went to the cross. Death on the cross. That's what I call real MVP. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's a real MVP. The second thing I want to talk about is embracing Jesus' service. Now, it would have been appropriate for one of the disciples to wash Jesus' feet, but the reverse is just intolerable. It's unheard of. It's uh, unbearable. So much so that when it comes to Peter, he says, Jesus, you can't be serious. Are you really going to wash my feet? In the Greek language, Peter is using emphatic words to express his love. But the problem is his love is defective because it lacks humility, which is the very thing that uh, illustrate, that Jesus is trying to illustrate in his actions. And so Jesus responds to Peter and says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but later you will. Peter replies, Jesus, no, you should never wash my feet. Jesus responds and says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter replies and says, well, in that case, Jesus, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and wash my head too. Jesus says, you don't need to. Those who've already had a bath need only to wash their feet. 
Jesus is letting Peter know, Peter, those who have been washed by me don't need to be washed again. In other words, if you're already saved, if you've already trusted in Jesus for salvation, then you don't need to be saved again. You just need to address the dirty areas in your life so that you can stay clean. When the sinner trusts the Savior, he is bathed all over and his sins are washed away and forgiven. However, as the believer walks in this world, it is easy to become defiled and to become filthy and dirty again. He does not need to be bathed all over again. He simply needs to have that defilement cleansed away. God promises to cleanse us when we confess our sins to him. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples how to live their lives upon being saved and cleansed and washed. He's teaching them how to walk with the Lord now that they've been saved. And I think it's funny that Peter is just out here refusing to let Jesus serve him. He, he's refusing to let Jesus wash his feet. He's refusing to let Jesus minister to him. And it's not until he hears Jesus say that he can't have fellowship with him. And then that's where we hear P Peter start saying, well, then suddenly Peter does the most and says, don't just wash my feet, actually just bath me all over. Let me ask you today, would you let Christ serve you? Would you let Christ wash your feet? Even as I say that, it almost sounds profane. And I bet there would have been a similar sense in the room as Jesus stooped down and served the disciples before he went to the cross. The demand of the gospel is that we need Jesus Christ to wash our feet, to serve us. Yet just like Peter, everything in us can't fathom such an idea. In fact, pride starts to hide itself in religion and it gets us saying the complete opposite of that. But this is what makes the gospel so radical because it is not Christ but we who need to be served. And so when Peter rejects Jesus' attempts to wash his feet, what looks like an ob objection born with humility is actually disobedience and self-righteousness. But you need to know today that when Jesus carried the cross, that was him serving us. When he was nailed to the cross, that was him serving us. When he bled out, that was him serving us. When he hung on the cross, that was him serving us. When he was buried in a tomb, that was him serving us. Oh, but when he got up, that was him serving us too. And so the cross, the burial and the resurrection of Christ becomes the greatest expression of Christ stooping down to wash the feet of all of mankind. Let me ask you again. Will you let Christ wash your feet? You see, in order to have our feet washed, we must first confess our sin. To confess means to agree with God. It means to say the same thing that God says about our sin. Because if we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive. But that is not all. If you are going to have your feet washed, then you must be prepared to place them in the hands of the Savior. That's obedience. That's surrender. The third thing I want to talk about is serving others. When Jesus finished washing the feet of the disciples, he asked them, do you understand what I've done for you today? And he says, John 13, 13 to 17, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you in as in, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, 
you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus lets the disciples know that he had given them a lesson in humble service and example for them to follow. Jesus was their master, and so he had every right to command their service, and yet he served them instead. He gave them an example of true Christian ministry. You see, we often view greatness as something that we must ascend to. You know, we say ascend to greatness. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's no such thing. Actually, you descend into greatness because your way up is to go down, is to lower yourself. And Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Let me ask you today, who in your life can you serve today? Who in your workplace can you serve today? Who in your neighborhood can you serve today? Who in the grocery store can you serve today? Actually, who in your own home can you serve today? You know, since we've made the announcement about having a baby, I've been getting a lot of advice on how to serve Haley while she's carrying. Thank you so much. Make sure, you know, I hear things, advice like, make sure you go to the shop when she's craving certain things at the midnight hour. Lord have mercy. Make sure you're always patient with her. Make sure that you help her out around the house and clean stuff. Make sure you get her a heat pack. Make sure you rub her back. Make sure you take good care of her as if I'm not already doing that. And I thought, hold up, wait a minute. So at what point do I get served? At what point will I get a heat pack? At what point will someone do a midnight, you know, run to Mecca's for me? And then I can just hear the words of the Apostle Paul ringing in my ears. Have the mind of Christ. <laughs> Let the mind of Christ be in you. When that co-worker is trying your patience today, let the mind of Christ be in you. Find ways to serve them. When the family member is getting on your last nerve, let the mind of Christ be in you. Find how you can serve them. When that lady at the checkout is giving you attitude, let the mind of Christ be in you. Find some ways to serve her. Give her some words of affirmation, a smile and encouragement. There are so many people in our world that we can serve, you just have to be prepared to get up and serve. If I can ask the team to join me. I don't know about you, church, but I'm so tired of religion. Religion is focused on what I've done. It's focused on what I do and what I have the capacity to do in the future. When that's the case, every action I make is judged on the basis of what it does for me. Even my works of mercy, my works of compassion will be attempts to kind of balance out my ledger sheet and the motivation stems from my desire to be a better person or my hope to remain in God's favor. Jesus shows us a completely different approach. We are not the focus. In order to love and serve others selflessly, we need to look beyond our own lives. What he does that Confucius or Gandhi could not is that Jesus goes beyond teaching what we should do and how we should live and actually gives us the power to live differently. Religion says, look inside yourself and you will find the strength to live a life of service to others. But Jesus says, actually, look to me. I will show you the path to serving others and I will give you the strength to live selflessly. Jesus does not call us to live a life of leisure, but of labor. He doesn't call us to follow him down paths sprinkled with gumdrops and lollipops, 
but down dirt-covered, sweat-stained paths, paths that stink, paths that are not simple or clean or neat. The cost of discipleship is so high, but I'm telling you, it's so worth it. God's blessing comes to the genuine disciple, the one who follows Jesus into a life of humble service. Of all the marks of discipleship that Jesus could have highlighted, he highlighted a willingness to pick up a towel and get your hands dirty. Jesus became a servant just like he became a man, not by laying down what he already had, his authority and divinity, but by assuming that which he had not before. When you say that differently, you could say it like this, Jesus as God became a man, so the king became a servant. This Father's Day, to be the real MVP is to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus is to serve humbly. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here today and upon hearing this message, you realize that you're far away from God and you are not in a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it is to give your heart to Jesus I want to put that charge to you this morning. Would you let Jesus wash your feet this morning? You see, the truth is, the God who created this entire universe is the God who created you and me. He created you to know Him. He created you to love Him. He created you to come into loving fellowship with Him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But also the Bible says the wages and the consequence of sin is death. But you see, my friend, it didn't end there because God in His grace sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay that penalty for sin. And so God is extending to us right now His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. But you see, we must turn away from sin Turn our back towards sin and turn to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him, that's all you got to do, believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus I want to count to three and then I want you to lift your hands and then you can put it down straight away. And you need to be, you need to know today, You've got no reason to be shy or afraid up in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved by grace. But we want you to know we're right here with you and we've got your back. So if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And I want you to lift your hand and you can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, my sis. I see that hand. Thank you. There's one more thing I need you to do for me. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. But hey, I need you to know this prayer doesn't even save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and your hope in Jesus. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. And you rose again. Today, I turn from my sins and I turn to you. I invite you to come into my heart and into my life.
I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.